Welcome to another episode of Bite Size Gaming. Uh, you guys haven't seen me in a while, but I am, again, your host, Mike. And here we have a new friendly face with us, Nate. Hi! Hi! Um, so it's been a hot second since I've been able to be on the show. Um, I know Alan and John have been hacking away down in Davenport, doing their best to get some content to you guys. But I, I was missing the screen, I was missing you guys, so I'm going to try to stay on top of it and get things going now that things have died down here a little bit. Uh, Nate has uh, been a part of the NerdHQ family for almost six months now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, the reason for my hiatus is near the end of my run with the podcast, we were getting ready to move to a second location up here in Dubuque, Iowa. Um, so that's taken up a lot of my time, but uh, opening night was the first time I met Nate here. He mm -hmm. came to play some Dragon Ball Super. And I pretty much, like, like just bothered the hell out of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Um, but a little bit in a bad way. <laughs> a couple months after we launched, Nate came on as both a repair guy and a part-time employee here. And he and I like to talk a lot about video games, so hopefully we have some good content for you tonight. Try to keep things a little bit shorter. We're here in the mall currently, so if you guys hear security coming to kick me out, that's why. Um, but they're very friendly. Before we get too much further, a word from our sponsors. Oh. In a world plagued by joystick drift and broken consoles shatter dreams. When malfunctioning hardware has you playing like a noob, there's only one man who can stop them. Oh, Ryan Tech. In partnership with NerdHQ, he'll fix your controllers, your games, your game hardware. He'll even modify your old consoles to give it that fresh take on life. Come down to NerdHQ and get your quote today. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I do repairs. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's a spoiler. It, is it? Maybe. I, we haven't even recorded the, the oh. commercial for the sponsor yet, so... <laughs> so, um, yeah. Are we allowed to sponsor our own podcasts? Uh, you know what? I, I think the FCC will get will let us get okay, away with that. Okay. Yes. Um, to the matter at hand, sorry, I'm a little thirsty, I'm parched. Um, Nate here does repairs for us in NerdHQ. He's also a video game aficionado, because... He's got a vast video game library, so I like to just kick things off and do what we did for both myself and John and eventually Alan, and that is get to the crux of who you are as a gamer. Oh, boy. Um, well, uh, so, I mean, I guess my, my story started in 1992, 93 ish Hey, 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 make me feel old. <laughs> We're the same age. I know we are. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, um, my first, uh, first ever game was, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 okay. on the Sega Genesis, um, and, uh, it kind of sparked a, uh, a very unhealthy obsession, honestly, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it kind of led me to, uh, when we were moving from the uh, military base that we lived at in uh, Fort Irwin, California, um, my parents got me an original Game Boy. And um, I played the crap out of that. And uh, my first game for that, our first two games for that was Tetris and Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story for the Game Boy <laughs> is near unplayable. <laughs> uh, oh. A lot of third-party games on the Game Boy 
like I guess not full third party, like um, IP third mm-hmm. parties, yeah. Yeah, like like you know, big, big uh, movie tie-ins. Yep. Um, but yeah, so ever since then, um, I've been kind of a, a big Nintendo boy. Um, I have definitely uh, had uh, my fair share of uh, like Sony, uh, Sony Playstations. Um, I've had a uh, an Xbox 360 back when that was cool to have. <laughs> um, Pre or post Red Ring. Um, Actually, during. During? <laughs> yeah. That, that's the case for most of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, currently I, I do a little bit more PC gaming, but um, I mean, yeah, as you kind of brought up, I have, you know, well, I had 450 games, uh, then some jerk sold them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, but uh yeah so um no a lot of a lot of what i do now is mostly just kind of retro gaming um game boy is my biggest passion um i love a lot of the titles on the game boy and yeah i mean now that especially kind of tying into the whole repair thing um like now that there are parts that kind of modernize and and bring up um like these handheld consoles to a more modern standard um that you know it makes it it, it gives new breath uh new life into uh in, into the into a 20 year old handheld yeah i agree Over five years old holy cow <laughs> um i know you were showing me you showed me some of your mods and it's definitely a sight to behold I should just leave it at that. But yeah, if this was yesterday, I would have had one for you. I know, I apologize. <laughs> um, so, you, like me, grew up in gaming, but you, I guess, at least in the 90s, were on the flip side. Because you grew up playing Sega games for a little bit yeah. in your home. Yeah. Uh, which did you have first, a 64 or PlayStation? Uh, I had a Nintendo 64. Oh, yeah. did you? Okay, so yeah. that's fine. Um, because I grew up playing the NES, then the Super Nintendo, and then... Like, I think within the first year of the 64 releasing, I had a 64 that my parents got me. Yep. Um, so I was pretty much all Nintendo up until, like, at least teenage years when I finally started in the backlog. You get, you know, the, the Genesis, the PS1. Um, never actually owned a PS2 ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I played a lot of the Sega games in retrospect, you know, well beyond when they were the most popular. Well, like, I... I uh, didn't get a PlayStation, PlayStation 2, or PlayStation 4 until um, like two or three years after those consoles came out, yeah. Sometimes that's a good way to go, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all the games are cheap. Well, that and like you're, like, you, you get you get a console a few few years into uh, into its lifespan, and now you have access to an incredible library. Yeah. Right? Like... You don't have to do the whole, like, waiting five months for the next release. Yep. Uh, 64. Nintendo Switch. Switch was a little bit better because they launched... It really was. Yeah, like, like, Nintendo Switch launched with, you know, Breath of the Wild, and, like, the the other game that I was really driving on uh, when that game, or when that uh, console uh, released, was Blaster Master Zero. Yep. Like, I love that game. Yep. I I have all three of them now, physical. Uh, But mainly, like, 
64, I think, launched with two games, and those are the only two yep. games you can get for a long period yep. of time. Mario 64, and... I can't think of it. Pilot Wings. Pilot. Pilot. Okay, yeah, Pilot Wings. Yep, Pilot Wings 64. I actually, like, so... I you know, Obviously, most of my game time was playing Mario 64, but I, I did take a break and play Pilot Wings from time to time, and I, I enjoyed that game. It was just a nice, like, chill, relaxed game. Mm-hmm. So that brings you to... Another question, because you know John is a, a chill game. I have my chill game. Um, I don't know if you know what my chill game is. We actually mentioned I mentioned it earlier today when we were talking. But uh, Super Metroid or not uh, uh, Metroid Dread? No, it's becoming a chill game for me because I've, I've started speedrunning, which we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Factorio. Oh, that's okay. that's my chill game where I can okay. sit at the computer for like an hour or two and just do things. That's my chill game. Okay. But my question to you is, what is your chill game that you can just sit back, not really have to think about it too much, but just play and chill? Depend depends on on really what I'm feeling. Um, I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind is honestly Persona Five, yeah. or like specifically Persona Five Royal. Um, Persona Five. In the music game. alone, it's chill. Like, oh my god, the music <laughs> is so good. Like, I know I'm just kind of like like saying stuff that like everyone else has already said, but man, like like in the middle of me uh, when I play that game, like someday sometimes I'll just like take a break, hop on the computer, right, and leave the the background. Yep. Background uh, music on. Um, hey, don't feel bad about reiterating stuff. Like John, John and I, our very first episode, we spent way too much time talking about Hollow Knight. <laughs> like, it wasn't healthy. Not healthy at all. The game is great. The game is great. It is great. So let's talk about Hollow Knight. No, let's not talk about Hollow Knight. No. Um, Silk Song. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, if you had to pick a single console generation to be your favorite, like, in terms Nintendo of... 64. Okay. So what I was going to continue with, like... Essentially, this console, if everything else was, like, the world's going to end and you're stuck on an island with just one console in its library of choice. And it's somehow electricity? Yep. Nintendo 64. Nintendo 64. All right. Uh, why? Um, so, mainly because there is a very wide plethora of games on that, right? Um, so... It was I mean, before Nintendo lost third-party support. It was true, but, <laughs> like, I mean... Like the only real, uh, real um, uh, genre that that system is lacking is RPGs. But I mean, for what for what that system has in RPGs, yeah, Paper Mario. Yep, Paper Mario. Sixty four. We're just gonna kind of swipe that one under the rug, but it's kind of action RPG. Yeah, but like it's also not very good. No, <laughs> but <laughs> like. For what that system has, like, it has shining examples of almost every single genre. Well, that and groundbreaking entries into those genres. Yep. Yeah, no, like, uh, like, I would say without the Nintendo 64, gaming would not have been what it is now. Nope. Well, he's like, you know, his big competitor at the time was PS1. Yeah. And a lot of people gravitated to the PS1 because... It did some things better than the 64. Did the PlayStation 1 come out before the Nintendo 64? Honestly, I can't remember. I think it came I, out after, yeah. Yeah. But it was, like, really close after. But the problem is, like, a lot of people have a lot of love for PS1 games. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the groundbreaking games of the 90s, 
PlayStation did not have an Ocarina of Time level game. Um, really? And while they tried to replicate Mario 64, they did it in a certain way with Crash and Spyro, mm-hmm. but they definitely did not have that same... What's the word I'm looking for? Attention to detail and um, just good platforming fun that Nintendo 64 had with Super Mario 64. The closest, the closest game that I can maybe think of with um, with PlayStation that would be like that level of, of you know, and yeah, detail and all that. Uh, would either be Metal Gear Solid. Yep, and that came to mind in terms of... Or Final Fantasy VII. Yep. Right, and I say that as not a fan of uh, Final Fantasy VII. I like the attention to detail that the that the uh, story itself has, yep. right? Uh, but, yeah, no, like, uh, the reason why I say Metal Gear Solid is because there are so many nuances in that game, mm-hmm. right? You make a certain Kodak call at the right moment, and now you're unlocking... Uh, like lore uh, in a, a weird, a weird ambiguous <laughs> way. Like Hideo Kojima is a madman. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't trying to downplay the PlayStation One's contributions. Um, yeah, like you know, no, like, has, those... the PlayStation One had some of the best RPGs, like true RPGs Hands of down. all time. Breath of Fire. Yep, Breath of Fire, Legend of Dragoon, the Final Fantasy Seven, Eight, Nine, which. People still love to this day over a lot of the modern installments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it definitely added and brought a lot to the table. Inversely, though, aside from Final Fantasy VIII and IX, most games on the PlayStation One, I would say, haven't aged as well as the sixty-four games have. Oh no, yeah, no, there have definitely been quite a few games on the PlayStation side that, like, you come back and you and you go, "Yep, this is a, this is a game from nineteen ninety-eight." Yep. Uh, now. I would also throw throw back, like, if you if you sat someone in front of a Nintendo 64, right, and told them to play GoldenEye 007, <laughs> I have a hard time uh, uh, agreeing that they would just easily pick it up. No, because it was pre-Twin Stick. Yep. And yep. before Twin Stick, we got by because that's what we had, mm-hmm. but with the dawn of Twin Stick, it's just such a more natural way of controlling a first-person game that going backwards from there is pretty much impossible. Well, and, uh, actually, GoldenEye did actually have a, a feature of doing the twin stick movement, that twin stick movement and shooting. Oh, with the... Yeah, yeah. with two controllers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, there are some games that, while they were groundbreaking at the time, are not easy to get back into. Yep. Like, uh, actually, a good example... Um, Alan brought in some of his N64 games in our Danbrook store. Oh, yeah? And he was talking about how much he loved Sarge's Heroes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I tried playing it. That game is, for me, unplayable. It's janky. It's square. Not smooth at all. There's a game that I really want, that I really want to find. Um, and, I like, I could easily I could easily find it online and whatnot, you know, buy it. But, like, like there's a game. It's called uh, Rocket Robot on Wheels. I, I beat that game. Yeah. I, I know the red cartridge. Yup. Yup. And the reason why I want to find that is because I want to see how, how well that game holds up. Because it was a platformer by DNA Design who turned into Rockstar. Yep. Um, and, like, I remember because my friend had it at one point, and 
the big reason why I wanted it is because like I never never got to beat it, right? So Have you played it? I played it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I have definitely played it. Yeah. Yeah, like that game, I didn't realize at the time when I was a kid playing it, but that game actually did a lot for the video game industry, even if they didn't realize it, because it was one of the first games that tried to tackle. Not saying they did it one hundred percent correct, but they tried to tackle the manipulation of physics with a lot of Rocket's abilities and the how he interacted with things in the environment around you. Yep. Yeah, I'm surprised you like I heard I don't know anybody who actually knows that game. Yep. And it was a, kind of a weird game at the time, but one yeah. of my one of my favorite things to do is just kind of learn about like obscure games, right? Like Green Dog, the beach surfer dude on the Sega Genesis. No one's ever heard of that. <laughs> no one's ever heard of that. Also, fantastic game. Terrible platformer. Fantastic game. All right, let's bring the scope in. Now we got the console out of the way. If you were stuck playing only one game for the rest of your life, Paper Mario sixty four. That's what I thought. <laughs> We've had this conversation. Uh, I, I would say, actually, that that's kind of a toss-up, honestly. Uh, Paper Mario 64 or Pokemon Silver. Okay. Yep. Still solid. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm on the gold side of that generation, mainly because that's the one I had as a kid. They're still I, virtually I the same game, but, you know. Yep. Um, yeah, we've also had long talks about Pokemon games on here. Yes. But, uh, when, did, when were you introduced to Pokemon? Uh, so, technically I was introduced into Pokemon in second grade. Okay. Um, and it was, it was through, uh, one of my classmates who had gotten, like, two packs of the Pokemon cards, and, uh, what, uh, he ended up, uh, what ended up happening was it started the Pokemon craze at my school, and, um... Like, we would play this this thing where, like, it was, like, pseudo-poker slash, like, blackjack, <laughs> where, like, you would just get dealt a card, and whatever card you get, like, like if whichever card has the, had the highest attack, you meant you won that hand. Oh, okay. Right? We had no idea how to play poker. <laughs> Did never... anybody in the 90s? No. But that that was right before the games came out, I think. And, um, so, uh, when, when the games did, uh, eventually come out, I, uh, I got Pokemon Red, and my mom actually got Pokemon Blue. Yep. Um, and, yeah, we played, played through that, and then Pokemon Yellow came out. Um, uh, so, yeah, like, um, that was my introduction, and kind of like a weird story into how I eventually fell for it. Stupid kids franchise. <laughs> so, my introduction. Still play it. Oh yeah, I've just beat Crystal the other day, so it's still oh. infinitely playable. I'm actually going through. Uh, so because of the the GB operator that I have, yeah, um, it lets me download the ROM of the, uh, the game that I'm playing, and um, since there are Pokemon randomizer programs out there, I can literally take a ROM of a cartridge that I own and uh, put a randomizer on it. Sounds legit. It's so cool. <laughs> like you can do it. You can do. It. You can download the ROM, you know, on online and all that. But like, but we we it, don't condone that. No, no. But like, there's such a there's such a interestingly like cool feeling about you know being able to take that ROM from the cartridge that you own and you know be able to modify it. Yeah. Without having to do a ton of coding. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Uh, so Pokemon is just me. I think a friend had Pokemon Yellow on his Game Boy Color that I played a little bit or watched him play. I don't remember. And then the card craze became a thing in my school, which I started collecting. Um, but I didn't actually get a game of my own until way later. I want to say I was probably, if not in middle school, close to middle school age, which was well after like the whole popularity of the games had risen up and everything. Yep. Um, and how I obtained it was a copy of Pokemon Gold. First Pokemon game I ever owned, first Pokemon game I ever beat. Um, I traded Kirby's <laughs> Dream Land for Pokemon Dang, good Gold. trade. Yeah. I mean, I really like, I really like, uh, <laughs> Uh, Kirby's Dream Land. Um, actually, one one of the other like first uh, Game Boy games I ever oh, yeah? got. Yeah. Funny enough, that was like a lot of people are sometimes confused on the history of Kirby. The Game Boy cartridge was the first Kirby game. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then they came out with one for the, the Kirby's right, Adventure. Yep, on the yep. Nintendo. But the original Kirby version did not have a copy oh. ability. Nope. Yeah, it just swallows fit. That's all. It was. Oh, that sounded really bad. I'm going to edit that part out. The original Kirby game did not have a mimic ability. Um, yeah. I don't know how to word the rest of that without We're just going to put editing. a hard stop on yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this oh, off, like, off the cuff wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I can't believe There was no copy ability in Kirby. Yep. We'll end there it we there. go. We'll end it there. Um, all right. So let's fast forward forward a little bit. Um, What is your take on the modern generation of gaming? Oh boy, we we want honest opinions. (laughs) A lot of people probably already understand some of the politics behind Game Maker, so let's try to avoid politics and just get into the state of gaming. The the thing is, so it's not necessarily like like a politicky opinion but like the biggest i think detriment to um uh, to gaming right now is the fact that everything became a business right now that's not saying that games don't like that don't games don't need you know funding they don't need um you know to pay their employees or anything like that yeah like developers earn their money however they right Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that the publishers, the the big money CEOs, they should not be getting, you know, super big bonuses on top of bonuses on top of bonuses and recording record profits while firing thousands of employees. Really, child? Right. That's the that's the personal like feeling that I have, and when stuff like that does happen, it it leaves such a negative feeling in. Like, at least, like, for me personally, it leaves a negative feeling in my mouth because, like, I, I'm i so enveloped in, in this industry. I'm so, like, impassioned by, like, the, 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 the stuff that comes out of this industry. And, you know, then, you know, then the negative politicky stuff happens. And it's just like, man, I, I, half the time I don't even want to be a part of this. <laughs> Right. That's why, like, I spent so much time into collecting retro games and um, building up my my own personal library of just games that, when they came out, they were a game, right? And with whether or not they were finished, I mean, yeah, there, there's there's definitely shining examples of games that really could have could have used uh, an extra little bit of polish here and there. I mean, I think. 
back then during the 90s and even early part of the 2000s a lot more work was put behind the release of a game and you didn't see franchises pumping out a game every year or two it was usually you had to wait three to five years to get the next starts yeah well like (laughs) like i think majora's yeah i think majora's mask was probably the fastest turnaround that they've had yeah releasing of the next game the game was made in a year and a half or eight months something like that yeah but again they used mostly the same engine and everything and same elements from ocarina time that helped them up that ante yeah but for the most part like i mean aside from galaxy one and two like since the dawn of the 3D games, I don't think we've had more than one Mario game on a console, and it, like main Mario game. 64 yeah. had Mario 64, then Sunshine and GameCube. We had Galaxy One and Two. Yeah. Uh, Galaxy Two still used a lot of the same elements from the first Galaxy, and unused elements from the Galaxy. Yep. Um, the Wii U, they didn't even get really a mainline because people don't consider a 3D world a mainstream or mainline Mario game. Sure. But 3D I mean, world was. You had Super Mario uh, Brothers U. That aside from I've got yeah. like 3D like mainly, um, sure. yeah. And then we got Odyssey on the Switch. Yep. Um, I think another one. Most consoles only have one Zelda game, with the yeah. exception of Majora's Mask. Yeah. I guess Twilight Princess kind of, but it was at the very end of the GameCube cycle. It was. It, was, it really wasn't intended to be a GameCube game. No, yeah, it was more popularized as a Wii game. Yep. I'm glad they made it a, a GameCube game because then we have the, the you know left-handed so, uh, so, uh, left-handed uh, Link. But oh. well, yeah, like um, it blew my mind because I mainly played that game on the GameCube. Yep. And then I think there was one time I tried it on the Wii, and it threw me off because everything is your first. Yep. Well, it's all mirrored. And I was like, yep. this is not how I remember I, this game. I played the game first on the Wii, and then I, I went to the GameCube, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold a minute. Yeah. I still can't figure out, because it, there was such a large gap of time between the last time I played uh, Twilight Princess and when I played the remastered version on the Wii U. Yeah. I don't know which version the Wii U is remastered. <laughs> Because it was so long, I can't remember what the right way was. For yeah. like in my mind, GameCube was the right way, so I don't know if the remastered version uh, used the GameCube version or the Wii version when it did the remaster. I think it was the GameCube. I think so too. Yeah. But I don't know for certain. Because I don't think the the Wii U version has like Wii Mode support. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. I think I think it is GameCube. Anyway. Yeah, we got off topic. You were talking about um, modern gaming, and so I think what you're trying to get at, um, like big level or macro CEOs, but when you break it down in terms of the development of the game, a lot of game development it seems like today is driven by the bottom line more uh-huh. than the actual experience itself. Yep. And you see that, like uh, Star Wars Battlefront One and Two got a huge backlash because of how they approached the game. I mean. Like the biggest, the biggest example uh, was Cyberpunk, and like that that game was almost promised. It was almost it was on a it was on a golden road to be a great game, right? And this is coming from someone who really didn't look forward to Cyberpunk, but um, like it came from CD Project Project Red, right? Gaming's golden child. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, Witcher Three, right? You know, fantastic game, no crunching, no, you know. But in order for them to make the investors happy, right, they had to release the game at at, at the at the point that they did, or 
pretty much not release it at all. And at that point, they had been sinking, what, seven, eight years into development on that game? At least. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, and I'm, yeah, apparently uh, Cyberpunk is becoming a, a much better, better game with all the, the patches that they've released, which, hey, I'm all for, but for when it did release and the amount of, of trouble that it got into, um, it would like for me it's a great snapshot of how how gaming is reflected as a whole right now well like as much as i praise nintendo for trying to stay out of that you know mm-hmm. any pitching scene <clears throat> nintendo themselves have to answer to investors oh, yeah. like investors are one of the main reasons why nintendo dipped into the mobile market when it did yeah because that's what investors wanted to see like hey yeah Mobile gaming is becoming this huge thing. You guys need to jump on this and be part of it. Nintendo didn't want to be part of it because they did not like the pricing model of how the mobile industry worked. They yeah. still don't, which is why you don't see any more games coming from them. Because it's also because Mario Kart Live failed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Nintendo did try to stick to its guns as much as they could, um, but you know they didn't really make waves in the mobile department. Well, the, the biggest, the biggest game that actually like to be lucrative for them was Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah. Or not not Heroes. Uh uh the the mobile one. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think that was part of the model they actually didn't like. You know, it was the most profitable and the one that made the most waves, but it also followed the whole uh, microtransaction loot box system yeah. that Nintendo was trying to stay away from. Yeah. But I mean the the thing is is that one like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not all for like, you know, like the the microtransactions unless it's done tastefully, right? Yeah. And the way that the Fire Emblem game did, uh, did like the microtransactions and the loot boxes, right? I mean, it's a free game, right? They have to make their money somewhere, right? I get it. Um, but they were, they weren't just throwing loot boxes out there for the sake of them being loot boxes, right? They were throwing the loot boxes out there for people to get the characters that they like, right? well-established characters that are in the franchise, right? And, like, yeah, you know, some of them have, like, cool costumes, right? And that's it. And, you know, like, I... This is also coming from someone who knows a very skin-deep level of, of how that game operates, but, like, from what I understand, the, the microtransactions and loot boxes in, in that game have been very well-received. I could see it. My main issue with microtransactions on that level is the ability, or how to word this, for somebody to either have to or the ability for them to be able to spend real money to get things that make them better at the game. Sure. Pay to win. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just imagine, you know, take Fire Emblem, but take the Fire Emblem skin that is on mobile. And apply that to a Pokemon game. Yeah. It would probably make a ton of money, but it's not what we would want no. to have to spend 99 cents to spin the Pokeball and see what you get. I could see that being kind of a. Like, like I'm saying, if, if, they, if they tried doing that to a mainline Pokemon RPG. Oh, yeah, no. Where you're not hunting for Pokemon, you're spinning the wheel and hoping that you get your shiny. Yeah. In a monetary sense, not in a like right. RNG sense. Right. Like, 
No, like I, I definitely, I definitely, like I, I, I see where you're going on that because yeah, like you know, you could sink two, three hundred dollars and not get the, the, the Fire Emblem character or the Pokemon that you want, right? Yep. Um, and that's you know, you know that, that ends up being the biggest bummer, and I've definitely experienced that uh, personally with uh, with other gotcha games. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. But yeah, I've so, never sunk like three hundred dollars into a game, thank God. But <laughs> uh, I mean, except for like League of Legends, but like that's not a gotcha game. Yeah, that's just a gotcha of your time. Insanity. Uh, speaking of that type of game development, though, Sorry. like in terms of like the Wii U and Switch, I can't think of a single instance where a Nintendo IP has botched microtransactions slash uh, DLC. Uh, there's. There's one that kind of comes to mind, and it's not it's not a mainline uh, Nintendo uh, franchise, but it did uh, come out on a Nintendo platform. Bravely Default. Oh, that's Square Enix. You, yeah. yeah, it was a Square Enix thing, but like Bravely Default had a had a microtransaction system that was like pay three dollars to rewind time. It was like that. That's not <laughs> no. Like if you die in battle or something like that, you oh, gosh. You, you, you rewind time. Like it's not fun. No. Not don't do that. No gaming no. companies don't do that. But I mean, mainly I was talking about like uh, Nintendo developed IPs. Yeah. Like their Mario Kart DLC was great. Like, yeah. Adding eight new pack or eight new tracks per DLC and also a oh, couple characters. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, like as soon as they release Link, that's my main. Yeah. Always. Oh, actually, no, I. I I did jump on the Metal Mario for a while, too. I liked the weight of that character. Um, Smash DLC I thought was really good. Um, Joker. Yeah. Well, I mean, four DLC characters per bundle that you yeah. pay for. Um, and people love their Smash characters. People love their Smash characters. I've definitely fallen off that Smash train, but like when Joker got announced, first off, I was floored. Oh, yeah. Like I did not expect any sort of agreement between Nintendo and Atlas. Well, like technically Sega. I, I was still upset like, after the match. They announced Joker, and I thought for certain, we're going to oh. be getting Persona 5 on the Switch. We're getting Persona 5 Everyone on the Switch. Everyone did. Everyone did. No, I mean, I'm Nintendo, glad... if you watch our little podcast, I want Persona 5 on the Switch. Now. <laughs> like, I'm glad that we got Scramble. Yeah. Right? Because it shows that a game like, with, with the Persona uh, with the Persona name can be very successful on, on the uh, on the Switch uh, handheld. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah. Um, the DLC for Breath of the Wild was pretty well received. Yep. Because it was a decent size. It wasn't just small little things. No. Like, you got a ton of new missions, new equipment, a motorcycle. A freaking motorcycle, man. <laughs> I love that thing. And you, you, know, fe- you fed it food for its fuel. <laughs> Why can't know, we have that in real life? You know, when... Uh, when I when I first imagined Link in Breath of the Wild, I was like, he needs a motorcycle. Yep. <laughs> a motorcycle shaped like a horse or yes. shaped like a pony. Yes. Yes. Yes, and he he to have wheels. <laughs> Sorry. But then um uh the, the master quest or whatever they called it, where you did went down in the master sword, like that part yep. was great. Yeah, uh, the trial of the sword. That's it. Trial. Yeah, I could not yeah. think of the name of it. I thought that was cool. I spent so much time when that when that DLC came out. Yeah. Well, because essentially what Trial of Sword did is it took one of the cooler little side quests of the game, being the island where they yep. took all your gear, 
they took that concept and created an entire DLC. It seemed like from that concept, an entire like like gameplay element, right? Like they just they just expanded on it and yep. made it so cool, very unique. You don't see that in any in any other like mainline mainline game. No. Um, actually, so speaking of DLC, um, I honestly think the DLC, which I don't, even, I don't think it was paid DLC for Mario Odyssey, was it? Uh, no. Okay, then I'm okay. I'm okay. talking about the the Luigi Bloom. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Yeah. If it was paid DLC, I'd be a little upset at what it was, but since it was free, eh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, it was a free update. Um, and yeah, like all it is, just yeah, go find a balloon. It's somewhere <laughs> that someone hid. Neat. <laughs> Um, Metroid Dread. Well, that won't have any. There's no way to do TLC in that game. Yeah, that, that's a pretty. That's a pretty like cut and dry storyline. Unless they do like like a side shot. Yeah. Right. Like something that something that's happening on the side, or like a prequel, or, or not a prequel, uh, a prologue or an epilogue. Yeah. Right. Like, I'd like I'd like to see something like that maybe, but yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm I'm pretty happy with how Dread ended. Oh, me too. We won't get too much into Dread tonight. I'm thinking our next episode we'll dig into the Game Awards. And okay. at that point, we'll talk a bit more about Dread. Yeah. yeah. And how it got robbed. Robbed is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. But and... correct. <laughs> um, all right, we've got a little bit of time left. Uh, I'll try to keep it short so that the security doesn't kick us out in the mean way. Um, moving forward. Looking to the future of gaming, is there anything hardware, software-wise that you are looking forward to, whether it be like games you look forward to or what you think the future of consoles might be beyond this current generation we're in? Um, I honestly see you know 4K gaming becoming a more standard thing, right? We're already seeing it with the Xboxes and the and the Playstations. I mean, the traje- tra- trajectory we're on is very reminiscent of the GameCube generation to the mm-hmm. next one. Where yep. HD gaming was new, and they were starting to add support to it, like that whole curve of getting into HD gaming is very pretty much identical to the curve we're seeing with 4K gaming. Yep. And like I like I mean I'm sure everyone else is is excited for this, but like you know maybe the idea of a you know 4K switch, right? Um, technically, the dock uh, in the uh, uh, and the OLED model is capable of pushing a 4K signal. Um, the only restriction that is being with the NVIDIA uh, uh, system chip that's on that's on the system board now. Yeah. So that is only locked to 1080p. Um, so yeah, I mean, being able to take a 4K 4K game uh, console and being able to you know put it on the go uh, that thrills me. Like. I'm not I'm not usually like a like a resolution hunter or a graphic hunter or anything like that, but like you know, just like that that level of fidelity, especially on an OLED screen, like the the switch <laughs> OLED screen. So let's um you're actually probably gonna enjoy this. I, I ran this by an older episode with John. I have this theory. Uh oh. It's called the Best Buy Theory. Fitting. I work at Best Buy. Yeah. Um so, it's all based on comparison. You never know how good the other side is until you compare it to something else. Yeah. So, the example I use is 
say you're at home and you decide that you know what i need to upgrade my tv and you do your due diligence you measure your wall your console area whatever and you figure out what the best size tv is for your wall but then you get to the best buy and the size tv that you had picked out in your mind looks tiny because mm-hmm. it's next to the bigger tvs yep and sometimes you let that sway your decision to getting the bigger TV because it's compared. Then you get it home and realize it's way too big for your room that you thought. I call that the warehouse effect. The warehouse right? effect. Okay. The reason being is because, well, yeah, like you're going off of you're going off of a very. I don't mean to like derail. I'm sorry, um, but you're going off of a very valid uh, thought process, right? Like this big screen TV over here is much bigger than the one I'm looking at. So, like, clearly this is gonna fit. This is gonna fit better. Also, never mind the fact that you're in a big warehouse, yep. right? And like, there should be something on the <laughs> on the uh, on the entrance door to Best Buy or Walmart or whatever, right? Um, that says "Object in the building <laughs> are much larger than they appear." Yep. <laughs> we've got we've we've taken way too many returns that <laughs> that like, oh, it that didn't fit my my area at all. Well, no duh. <laughs> But I think it applies to video game graphics, like that that idea. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I had only ever played Octopath Traveler, which is not a graphically intense game, but I had only ever played it on the Switch, and I was fine. It, the game looked fine to me. I did not miss anything graphically from the game. Yep. But then it hit Game Pass for free, so I downloaded it, mm-hmm. booted it up, started playing on my 4K TV, and holy cow. Really? Like That big of a difference? Well, like, it's just... The... It, it wasn't so much like the actual graphical fidelity, but it was the motion and how smooth and fluid everything was. Well, a game like that is almost like how simple the graphics can be. Yeah, but I'm saying like I noticed a vast difference from my Switch to the TV. Now, that was also my old Switch, not the OLED, so maybe that's different with an OLED. Yeah. Um, but similarly, I played all of Metroid Dread on a Switch Lite. Yep. And then I played it on an OLED. Yep. On the Switch Lite, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. But after playing on the OLED with all the colors and the darkness, or the blacks and everything, I can't see myself going back to play that on the light now. No. And it's that comparison that kind of kills the lesser experience for you, is if the lesser experience is all you have, it's more than likely perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But when you compare it to what's deemed the better experience, it's hard to go back to that lesser experience. And so, yeah. So a lot of people are perfectly fine on 1080p or just standard HD. Um, I've been PC gaming on 1080p for the last, like, 8 to 10 years. Yeah. So. Um, so when you don't have anything to compare it to, usually it's fine. But, yeah, I think you're right that eventually the drive for everything to be 4K is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Similar to like how there was HD support, and then at a certain point in time, everything was HD with really nothing going behind it. Um, we'll see that with 4K maybe by the end of this current generation cycle. The one... The one thing that this industry is doing right now that I I can understand why we're trying to get away from it, uh, but like you know, deep in my heart of hearts, I'm really sad that that we're seeing the this is probably going to be the last generation of it, physical media. Yeah. Um, this is more than likely going to be the last generation of cartridges or discs, and while it makes a lot of sense for the industry to do it. Um, it you know opens up uh, a lot of uh, a lot of discussions on you know digital rights and 
if you buy a piece of software, do you actually own it, right? At the or are you, no, but yeah. Yeah, or are you, like, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is a great example, right? Thankfully, we're getting a re-release. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah, thank, thankfully, we got a re-release. <laughs> Um, I can take a little bit of solace in the whole digital market, at least as it stands right now, in knowing that the game creators do get a larger cut of the game sales when it's digital sales as opposed to physical media. Because with physical media, you have to pay for the disc or whatever medium it's on, the casing, the fees or whatever they call them to actually have a store sell those games for you yep and so all of that adds up to a bigger chunk of what the game developers and makers could potentially make yep. whereas digital they pretty much pay the ip that they're selling it on their own fees and then the rest is profit at that point yep i'm being very generic in my description but the, boiling it down yeah yeah, yeah, there's more that goes into it, but I do know that game makers get a higher percentage of the profits when games are sold digitally, and I'm okay with that because they do deserve that. Uh, but yeah, it is sad to see physical cartridges and games and stuff dying the yeah. slow, agonizing death that it currently is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of said it at the beginning of the of the podcast was like, I got, I had 450 games, right? And a lot of them ended up in the store. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like at least at least I can say that one, I had I had that that amount of games, and two, like one, you know, maybe it's just the the nostalgia nerd in me, but like, I had always wanted the idea, or I always had the idea of wanting a a room full of video games, and. I kind of had that, and like I come home from work a really long, really hard day, and I'd go into my living room and be like, "Man, I'm really, I'm really happy <laughs> with myself right now," you know? Yep. But yeah, like the the whole digital digital market. While while I have well, while I had 450 physical games, I also have like a hundred 120 games on Steam, right? So like, <laughs> that's your new room of video games. <laughs> yeah, which uh, can you imagine if somebody created like a VR application that links to your Steam library that essentially was a room with all your games on walls? Oh wow, that'd be so. Somebody weird. needs to make that'd be amazing. That would be cool. I like. <laughs> like... I would pay a whopping ninety nine cents for that application to have a room <clears throat> with, with my Steam library. Like having a um, having the ability to like I, I'm I'm just kind of thinking of it in in a way like you know how wallpaper engine is a thing yeah yeah like you could kind of do something in the same vein yeah which is like video game engine like I, there was a VR game that I Library had at one point where it was the Sega Arcade uh-huh. and so I'm seeing, actually I have it on Steam but um you you could I just play on the computer but if you linked your VR to it. It would actually create like a bedroom aesthetic. Oh, dude! Yeah, with what? with shelves of all the Sega games oh, in that's there. Weird. That's yeah, so cool. right. and it had a tube TV that you could go up to and put your game in and play on the tube TV in <laughs> VR. So I'm thinking something like that, but for your Steam library. And you know what? You know what? It costs them money to develop that, but like there is, <laughs> that like it, it is like 
It costs them money to develop that, right? And they get nothing in return for that, right? As far as I know. But, <laughs> like, uh, do more of that. Yes. Please. All right, that about wraps our show tonight. A uh, couple of different plugs. Um, Alan, for those of you who don't know, has been doing uh, bite-sized Let's Plays on Twitch. I have since talked him into migrating that to this YouTube channel if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, so if you're already here on and following our YouTube channel, you can expect to find him here doing live Let's Plays on Monday nights at 6 o'clock p.m. That is Central Standard Time. Um, I think he's been playing Pokemon recently. I could be wrong, but I think that's what he's been currently going through. Um, I talked to Nate about potentially starting to do some Let's Plays. If you did, what game would you jump in on? Uh, I would hate to join in the same thing, but probably Pokemon or... Shiny Hunting? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm 50 hours into getting a Shiny Piplup, and I still haven't. <laughs> But stay tuned for that. We have not set that up yet, but if that becomes a thing, I will let you guys know what day and time that will be where Nate will be shiny hunting here on t YouTube. Uh, for me, myself, like the best thing I can see myself doing, um, I've talked about it here on the show that I've speedrun Super Mario World and I've attempted a couple other games. My most recent game over the last month has been Metroid Dread. I've whittled my in-game time down to two hours and ten minutes, so I think that'd be a fun game to showcase and do Let's Plays of here on YouTube. I will figure out a day for that and try to stick to it as best as I can. Um, in the meantime, um, I will continue to try and crank these podcasts out. If you're watching here on YouTube, that's the best way to see us. If you don't care about seeing us, you can always listen to us on um, any podcast service. Um, it usually hits most of them first, and then iTunes like a week after the fact. So... Uh, but you can still run iTunes. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's big. Whoa. <laughs> um, and then for those of you on YouTube, um, Alan has done three or four episodes over the last few months, but without video because apparently he had issues getting the video to work, so they're audio only. So if you want to catch up on what you've missed between Alan and John in the Davenport store, um, be sure, be sure to find us on a uh, podcast platform because those three episodes will be there, but they're audio, audio only, so they will not be on this channel on YouTube. Um, if you ever need to get hold of me, Nate, or anybody on the Bite Size team, um, we have a Discord channel. I will be working on revamping the YouTube page over the next week. Hopefully I can find a spot to plug the Discord invite link there, but... Yeah, we've got a bite-sized channel there that you guys can uh, ping us, ask us questions, give us suggestions for talking points on the show, and yeah, we love to integrate and react and be with you guys, our community. So thank you for being there. Any last words before we sign off? I'm very tired. You're very tired? I think he's ready for bed. <laughs> so until next time, hopefully I can start to get back into the swing of things and make this weekly thing, but until next time, we are Bite Size Gaming. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.